0: Good morning. Good morning. It is Monday, the 21st of February. Happy President's Day. The verse of the day here at My Faith Radio, which you can um, sign up to receive the verse of the day in your email inbox first thing in the morning. Today's verse of the day is, drumroll, I'm clicking on it now, John 1334. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Uh, In context, the verse says this, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So those are the words of Jesus in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, the verse of the day here at My Faith Radio. You can sign up for the verse of the day at myfaithradio.com. All right. There is a lot going on in the world. Um, Lots of things screaming from us, screaming at us maybe from the headlines. Let me cover a few this morning. Uh, Kim Potter, who is the former Minneapolis police officer, was sentenced to two years in prison on Friday for the death of um, 20-year-old Dante Wright. She said she mistook her gun for a taser or actually her taser for her gun. And Judge Chu defended the shorter sentence, which could have been seven years, um, because she identified um, Kim Potter as a cop who made a tragic mistake. There is an opportunity here to to reflect on life and the gift of life and the value of a human life, the value of every human life. Um, There's an opportunity here for us to recognize the challenges that police officers face in our communities. It's also an opportunity for us to recognize the challenges that African-American young men face in our communities each and every day. So lots of opportunity there for us to have um, gracious and grace-filled conversations in, in the recognition that indeed a cop made a tragic mistake in this particular case. I know many of you following What is happening with the Freedom Convoy protest in Ottawa, Canada? Mostly cleared over the weekend. Um, Police stepped in and enforced Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's invocation of the uh, nation's Emergency Act. So, police announced on Sunday afternoon that they had towed 79 vehicles. They had arrested 191 people on charges ranging from disobeying a court order to assaulting a police officer. Um, And the. uh Royal Canadian Mounted Police announced yesterday that they had frozen the personal and corporate bank accounts of some two hundred and six individuals and corporations related to the protest so that is ongoing um it is a great challenge. I know um our listeners have a wide variety of viewpoints and opinions related to what 's happening there. just lifting that up today um, as a prayer concern, and we will circle back around to it. Another thing we'll circle back around to, and I'm probably going to save this extended conversation when we talk later this week with Dr. Peter Kapsner, but there's a Gallup poll that found that nearly 21%, 20.8%, one in five, one in five young adults, so Gen Z, um, so people born after 1997, um, or 1997 to 2012, so not, not all adults yet. So the adults in Generation C, who were Generation Z, who were a part of this Gallup poll, a full 20.8 percent of them identify as LGBTQ. So in the same poll, the percentage of adults in the U.S. that identified as LGBTQ um, in the year, let's say 2012 across the general population, it was only 3.5% of U.S. adults. But now there's a whole other generation accounted for in these numbers, and that would be Gen Z, boosting the overall percentage to 7.1%. So we're going to talk more about that in the coming days, but I wanted to alert you that that's out there, and it is in the headline news today. Another thing in the news today, Customs and Border Patrol published its January report showing that, On the southern border of the United States, they had 186,000 encounters with migrants. That represents a slight decline from December, but nearly a doubling, a two time increase from January of 2021. And so I know we have taken our eye off the southern border as we have looked at things um, happening across the country and around the world that have captured our attention, but I don't want us to forget what is happening on the U.S. southern border. And certainly this will redraw at least news attention to that concern. We are going to pivot our conversation uh, later today to Russia and Ukraine. um, And we are also going to touch on what uh, what is going on in China with the Uyghur population. But right now we're going to bring on Dave Buring. He joins us frequently on Mondays. I want to get us off on Mondays, you know, with a good feast from the Word of God and get us focused on what God has said to us, who we are as the disciples of Jesus Christ. So here's my question um, to, to get us thinking before Dave joins us. How many different kinds of friends do you have? When you think about different kinds of friends, how many different kinds of friends do you have? When we talk about kinds of friends, I'm not talking about some sort of like diversity, I'm talking about sort of levels of depth of friendship. We're going to talk about four spheres of friendship next with Dave Buring. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back.
2: Every step of the way.
0: back. You can find what we're going to talk about today at lionshare.org. Dave, good morning.
1: Good morning, Carmen.
0: So um, are you having any particular challenges this morning? I'm having a little bit of a technology challenge
1: today. Oh, and what does that look like?
0: My uh, my computer this morning at about 4.30 a.m. Um, told me it was shutting down. And when I tried to resist that, it, <clears throat> it prevailed. Um and then when I tried to turn it back on it told me that um it found no bootable programs.
1: Oh wow.
0: Doesn't that that's a, seem a big deal? It's a very big deal. Now the good news is I had already printed out my circles of friendship notes for our conversation oh. today. So I know so I do find myself prepared but only because God still lets me print things on real paper.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Well, I, I remember last show, I couldn't find my uh, unmute button. So, hey, we've, we've, shared, <laughs> we've shared challenges.
0: Oh, my goodness. Um, let's talk about friends and friendship. I like this, uh, this approach to thinking about spheres of friendship. So introduce us to this, this idea of spheres of friendship, and then let's talk about the, the four spheres that you've identified here
1: yeah a lot of this Carmen for me came through just my own journey, and I tend to collect a lot of relationships in my life because of different situations I'm in or things that I'm leading or experiences that i'm having and and I begin to um not feel overwhelmed but but kind of needing to to recognize okay what responsibility do I have in relationship? And uh, and I, I begin to kind of draw this out like a, uh, I'd say, like a target where I saw four different uh, circles of friendship or spheres of friendship. And so, like, if you think of the bullseye on a target, think of kind of your, you know, it's the core, it's intimate friendships. And then you kind of go one circle out and it's it's the committed. These are people that are close friends. And then, you know, then you kind of got the casual, the next layer out. And then, you know, I I just called it the crowd, you know, those that you bump into from time to time. And I and I wanted to begin to understand, all right, what is my role in relationships here? How do I tend people? What are my responsibilities? That kind of thing. And so uh, that that's what got me started on it.
0: It made me um, it made me think about um, even if i reflect on how jesus related to different yeah. people right he's got peter james and john they're super close in they seem to be at everything they get to go to the top of the mountain of transfiguration i mean they yeah. are they are the inner circle and then there is the 12 and then i think of like the 120 cuz we know by the time right. we get to the ascension there's more than just the 12 i think that's probably um you know the they're committed those are close friends they're in yeah. they're in the group and mm-hmm. then there is this more informal group that seems to be around a lot, um, but they're not in that, you know, close friendship category. And then there is the crowd or I guess maybe in Jesus's case, the entire world, um, yeah. you know. With, yeah. With, yeah. So but for us, that that doesn't uh, it doesn't reach to that level. Um, let's um let's take a very brief pause and then let's let's come back, Dave. And I'm going to ask you to unpack each one of these the crowd, the casual, the committed, the core. And we're going to talk um, in each one of these spheres of friendship, what characterizes a, a particular sphere of friendship, what's my responsibility to people in that sphere, and then what's God's calling upon me in terms of what I am to do tending to them. We're talking with Dave Buring. You can find what we're talking about today at LionShare. .org. We're talking about the spheres of friendship. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back.
2: You've got a friend in me. You've got a friend in me.
0: We're talking with Dave Buring from LionShare. If you haven't already checked it out, the LionShare app is pretty great. It's LionShare Leadership Group. Uh, you can also find all kinds of Uh, proven and practical tools for making disciples at lionshare.org. We're talking uh, specifically today about the circles of friendship or spheres of friendship. So let's start, Dave, with the crowd. Um, What characterizes the crowd, my responsibility to the crowd, and God's calling upon me as I tend to them?
1: So I think with the crowd, a good word to associate with that is acquaintances. So this is the mailman, this is the person that, uh, you know, you greet uh, often at your grocery store who checks you out. It's people like that. These are acquaintances, they're occasional uh, contacts, and you know, the, the conversation tends to be more on general information, friendly conversation, you know, did you see the game last night? Boy, isn't the weather nice, and it's just friendly conversation, and I think the, the responsibility here relationally is just acknowledging them with lots of love and grace, and it 's discerning what questions are are appropriate at this point in a friendship. so the tending points is just being you know uh, friendly it 's you know this is a great opportunity to learn and remember their name uh, and, and it 's being a good listener it 's being a good listener and, and on all these levels, even with this one it 's considering how God may use you to be a blessing in their life whether it 's you know that that person at the restaurant where, as you build a relationship, you leave the extra tip and, and it 's an awesome thing because they hear you hear you talking about Jesus anyway around your conversations, and it's just a it's just a way to extend god 's love to them so that that 's the crowd
0: mm. all right, so let 's move from the crowd. Closer to the bullseye, like like mm-hmm. closer in, one sphere closer in, and that is my casual friends. Who's in this sphere or circle of casual
1: friendships? I think this tends to be when it comes to the practical nature of things. It's often our largest uh, engagement. These think of these as informal friendships. So these tend to be based on things like common interests. Uh, activities you do together or common concerns. This could be your neighbors, for example. These are a lot of the people that you will work with. Uh, it might be people you work out with at the gym or play ball with, go to movies with. The, these have a little bit more personal conversations, but they tend to center on information about each other. You know, there, there's a little bit more of sharing of opinions, maybe honest heart stuff of sharing desires. Um, the, the responsibility here is it's recognizing what God has done and is doing in their lives. And it's an opportunity to be able to affirm strengths and encourage them. So there's a little bit more active you know, engagement in this these people's lives. Uh, I, I like to, with my informal friendships, really watch for their strengths. It, it, it's, it's an opportunity, again, for me to just say, dude, did you know how good you were at that? Or, or you know, recognizing, you know, this dear lady in my life, like, she doesn't realize how the mercy gift she has is touching so many people. And so I like to come alongside them in prayer and encouragement. If, you know, if they disclose a problem to me and say, yeah, Dave, thanks. I appreciate that mercy thing. But sometimes it just gets really heavy on me. I don't know what to do with this. Then it's an opportunity for me to come along and pray for them when they disclose something to you. So, again, there's a good balance of moving uh, a little deeper in friendship, but you're not crowding them. You're not kind of rushing in there. You're just—it's an appropriate thing and it's enjoyable.
0: We're talking with Dave Buring from LionShare.org. We're talking about our circles of friendship. We have talked about the crowd and the casual, and we arrive now at a conversation about the committed. Let's talk about these close friendships, Dave. What what characterizes Close friendships. What is my responsibility to my close friends, and what's God's calling in my life in terms of tending to them?
1: Yeah, in this circle now, like as we think of a bullseye, we're moving in closer to the bullseye. It gets smaller. This is not um, this is not a huge group of people. I don't even want to put a number because I think for all of us, this number might be different. But there's a, a greater level of commitment. These these. Um, Friendships are based a lot on mutual enjoyment and life purpose. Like I'm thinking of a of a friend in my life, it's it's not only just going out to eat and talking, but it's it's playing golf together, it's watching the Super Bowl together. Um, there's a, a greater deliberate in the friendship because there's a deeper heart link. Like there, you feel more committed to to that person in that relationship. There's more purposeful conversations revolving around issues of life and each other's purpose. And so this is a a level where there's a little bit more freedom based, again, on invitation to speak into each other's lives. Uh, I I find myself with these relationships, Carmen, being more available to come alongside them in life's journeys as I'm invited. Um, And and there's an engagement of actively helping them fulfill life's purpose. You know, we talk a lot about like, hey, what has God called you to? Or you know what God's called them to. And you're coming alongside. If it's tough, you're praying. If they need encouragement, you encourage them. And I I think one of the things here that's important is at this level, you really are talking about each other's character. And, you you know, dude, you just need to be more patient here. You know, there's the freedom to that because there's a given level of freedom to speak into people's lives. And it's one of the principles that I've used over the years that I was taught as a young guy from Darlene Cunningham, the the wife of the founder of Youth of the Mission. And she said to me, Dave, only speak into people's lives in the categories they invite you into. And she said, if you do that, it will make a mark and, and then they'll come back for more. And one day you will hear these words hey, you can speak into my life anytime, anywhere, about anything. But she said, you have to earn that, and it takes time. And that's so opposite, Carmen, of what of today. People just run in to speak their opinion, dump on people, tell them what they think. And we're violating that principle all the time. So these committed mm-hmm. are, are people like that where you're speaking into each other's lives because you've invited that. You're praying for them. You're encouraging them. You're available to them.
0: All right, Dave, we've got a couple of minutes left to talk about the people who are these deep, intimate friends who we would call the core. Um, Mm -hmm. My sister would describe this as the people who you allow on the front row. Um, So when she and I have this conversation, we talk about like theater seating. And we have talked mm-hmm. um, uh, you know about individuals who sometimes need to be moved further back away from us because of the way they 're mm-hmm. treating us or mm-hmm. um, or people who we want to invite closer in, so the core are really like on the front row they are in the mm-hmm. they are the inner circle. What characterizes these relationships
1: yeah i think I think the the key here is to remember that this now is the smallest circle so there's there 's few we We look at the life of Jesus as you pointed out when we begin. You know, probably Peter, James, and John. There was probably three. So this includes a spouse. This includes, you know, your family. This includes those in your life that are very, very close. This this is more intimate conversation that is totally honest. There's a vulnerability. There's a transparent sharing of heart. And there's the freedom to speak into each other's life without offense. And, um, you know, and of course, there's wisdom around that, right? But part of the responsibility here is is there's not only love but there's a commitment to walk together. Like they know you have their back. Um, you're used by God to help them become more like Jesus, and you're helping them fulfill God's call on their life. A few practical things is that I like to do is I actively look for ways to help them grow. I, I learn how to comfort and strengthen them in trials. I, I wanna speak honestly into their lives as we both strive to walk in integrity. So there's a, a, a you assume because they'd given it to you a personal level of responsibility for their reputation you know to stand with them you know to correct them you know to cheer them on and and you regularly pray for them so that that's that's part of what these intimate friendships or the core look like
0: dave when i think about these um, concentric circles and when i think about how many people you know it, it can really inhabit these concentric circles obviously sort of an unlimited number in the crowd um but as you get closer in we are talking about smaller and smaller and smaller groups of people um or numbers of people and once you get to this intimate level i think we're talking about less than 5 like i for sure I, yeah um so it might be one um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think for i think for many people though dave the their part of what they're dealing with in their life is there's not one mm-hmm. right like the closest circle they have is not this intimate level where you can be totally honest and vulnerable and transparent, what what uh, my husband Jim and I call naked and unashamed, like, right, yeah. that, that yeah. deeply intimate level of relationship, soul to yeah. soul, all the way home, no matter what. Um, and so that's the way I'm going to be praying for uh, everybody listening today, that they would not only recognize that we live in these concentric circles of friendship, and recognize maybe where they are in in their relationships with others in terms of these circles, um but also just to invite God to be sure that each person listening right now has one other person at the core, like one intimate friendship
1: yeah, I think that's I think that's huge, and I think if we can just pause and it, and you don't want to put people in a box, that's not what this is about. this is just about understanding where you are and and some of these. Friendships, Carmen, can go back and forth. Some Mm -hmm. drift and then some move forward. And just let God lead and guide in that process.
0: Amen. And sometimes God draws a person into a sphere of friendship that makes me uncomfortable. And I just have to acknowledge I just have to acknowledge <laughs> yes. that. Be yes. like, okay, God has this person here for uh, for a reason and a purpose, and he's doing something. Dave, as always, thank you so much. You guys can find what we've been talking about today at lionshare.org. Uh, Dave Buring has been our conversation partner and is frequently uh, a person who joins us on Monday mornings to get us started off right. Dave, thank you so much.
1: Yeah, have a great day, Carmen.
0: You too. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. So when we think about religious freedom, when we think about um, the things that we are free to do um, in the world and free to talk about, there's something going on in Finland that you need to know about. And you're going to say to yourself, Finland? The only thing I heard about Finland over the weekend was the Finnish president giving an interview um, about the 830-mile border that Finland shares with Russia. Finland, like Ukraine, not a part of NATO – um, but their current president has served for the past 10 years, has a couple of years left on his final term as their president and has been in national leadership in Finland since 1994. So maybe that's the Finnish news you've heard over the weekend, that Finland's president um, has said he now sees only three alternatives uh, in terms of Russia and its hostility and and aggressive desire to possess at least eastern Ukraine, the Finnish president said we could reach a settlement where Russia just gets what it wants but without war, or we're going to see a full-scale war where Russia gets what it, what it wants, or we're going to see Russia get what, it, get what it wants through increasing tensions and incursions over time that would be just as deadly as a full-scale war. So a guy who knows Putin pretty well and shares a border with Russia Uh, did not give us a lot of hope over the weekend in his interview on CNN. But that's actually not the news out of Finland that we're going to talk about next with Per Per Erwart. He's the director of the Chatham Institute in Sweden. We're going to talk about religious freedom and free speech in Europe. There is a case, a couple of cases in Finland, and there actually is a parallel case in Sweden. uh, and, And it is about whether or not you can even read the Bible in public. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Evert joins us now. Uh, among other things, he's the director of the um, of the Chapman Institute of Sweden. He has joined us on prior occasions to talk about religious freedom and free speech in Europe. Pair, welcome back. Well, well, thank you very much. Thank you. OK, remind us, what time is it where you
2: are? Uh, t- today it's uh, half past one in the afternoon in Sweden.
0: Lovely. What uh, what is the weather like in Sweden this time of year?
2: well, the the weather is more like like the feeling is yes, in europe right now it's it 's cold and gray and it 's a blizzard outside,
0: oh my goodness, okay, um cold and gray and blizzardly that sounds just like Minnesota in the United States of america so um, so we have something in common today. Um, one of the other things we have in common as Christians in the West is what I will describe as a rising tide of Um, free speech and freedom of religion questions being asked. So this story out of Finland caught my attention. I know there's a parallel case in Sweden. So uh, in Finland, it's my understanding that there is both a member of parliament as well as a bishop from the Evangelical Lutheran Church there um, who have been charged, accused of agitation against an ethnic group. And according to the prosecutor in this case, these individuals have, quote, insulted homosexuals in a booklet, uh, maybe in a tweet and on maybe a radio program, um, even though both of these individuals emphasize that all people are created in God's image and have uh, and have indivisible dignity. So, what what's going on here? And then tell us about the parallel case in Sweden.
2: Yeah, yeah, that is a good summary of it. Uh, her name is Päivi Räsänen. It's difficult with Finnish names as well. Uh, and and the bishop, what's his name? Pohjola. Uh, and, and she is a parliamentarian for the Christian Democrats in Finland. And she, she also, she's also a former member of, of government. She was the Minister of Interior Affairs beforehand. And she's always been a, a bold Christian, uh, speaking boldly about her faith and the implications, the moral implications in society that a Christian faith has. Uh, and uh, 2004, she, she published a booklet uh, about... For, for instance, homosexuality, where she presented a classical biblical view of it. Uh, and for this, she is now being prosecuted. And, and the court hearing is over, and uh, the final verdict is awaited in the end of March. Uh, and it's, of course, as you noted from your American viewpoint, it, it is a threat against free speech and against freedom of religion.
0: So, Per, when I when I read this from um, from the prosecutor's statement, I I wondered to myself, is this the way people think um, more broadly in Europe? And so I ask you this question. So the prosecutor in this case in Finland um, is making the distinction between an internal and an external religious freedom. So the prosecutor says, I emphasize freedom of thought and conscience is unrestricted. Uh, this court does not address the religious views of the Bible and homosexuality. Is it is addressing the expression of these views?
2: Yeah, precisely. So
0: you, okay, and that, Talk about that distinction.
2: Yeah, we hear that that understanding of freedom of religion in totalitarian states. We we hear that in communist states and possibly in Muslim states as well, saying that. But yeah, you can hold Christian views, but you cannot express them publicly. But then again, that's not the true meaning of freedom of religion. Freedom of religion means that you can hold a religious belief you're free to express it you're free to try to convince others and all the other things that are involved in freedom of religion so so that's why such rhetoric is very dangerous for freedom of religion i and I'm quite surprised that a prosecutor expresses it i I would expect it from a very liberal uh, opinion maker but but not from a, a state prosecutor
0: so the prosecutor goes on Pear, and i I, I want to read this because mm. um Again, I I find this difficult to understand and yet possibly more prevalent than I recognize. So the prosecutor um, stated more than once that human deeds and identity are indistinguishable. So here's the quote. When one judges deeds, the whole person is judged. Actions cannot be separated from identity because actions are identity. Understanding deeds as sin is derogatory. I don't um, know how that's... a prosecutor makes that statement and still is able to say we could have any laws against anything.
2: Yeah, precisely. And and how do you treat people in court? I mean, you bring people to court not because they have inclinations of stealing, for instance. You, you bring them to court because they, they have committed uh, theft. And that goes with with all kinds of crime. You don't you don't prosecute people for holding beliefs or views. You you prosecute them for, for 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 doing things. And that that goes the same thing here when it comes to freedom of religion. Obviously, so it's a very strange understanding.
0: So I want you to share with us because you have a personal connection to a parallel case in Sweden. Um, tell us, uh, give us the parallel in Sweden to this case in Finland, because it does have a very positive outcome um, in the Swedish, in the Swedish case.
2: Yes, Uh, there was a Pentecostal pastor named Orke Grian, uh, and and for my person, myself personally, as you mentioned, uh, I have a, a very personal connection to this man because he was my pastor in my local church when I grew up, and on the 3rd of May, 1987, he baptized me uh, in my Pentecostal church where I grew up. And and then after that, he went on to to, uh, be pastoring other small congregations, Pentecostal congregations in Sweden. And when uh, legislation was adopted in Sweden in 2002, I think it was, to expand uh, the hate speech uh, law in Sweden to also include uh, sexual orientation, uh, he decided that... I I want to challenge this law. Uh, And therefore, he held a sermon in his small church um, about homosexuality, on the biblical views on it. And in order to to raise the debate, he invited uh, media to to the sermon, but they never arrived. Uh, So instead, he sent his sermon afterwards to the local newspaper, and then... He was reported to the police uh, and he was also uh, drawn before court for for uh, inciting hate speech uh, against homosexuals and what he did was give a basic biblical outline on on the view of sexuality particularly consider considering homosexuality and uh, You can always argue that there were uh, expressions in his sermon that weren't perfect. You can say that about every kind of uh, speech like the one we're having right now. But uh, the problem here was that they actually uh, put it before court and in the first uh, court hearing he was sentenced to one month in jail. But that was only the first hearing, as you mentioned. Do you want me to go on?
0: Yeah, because then it, it – so this is where I, – I guess I want to lift this up because I don't want people to panic um, that the outcome of the cases in Finland – um, you know, may may actually result in this member of parliament and this uh, evangelical Lutheran bishop being thrown into jail, although that may come one day. I think that what we see is the groundwork being laid um, or the undermining of religious speech and religious freedom, not only in Finland, but this case in Sweden points to the reality that it's a broader topic uh, or a broader issue. But The good news out of the Swedish case is that as it rose through the courts, there's a positive outcome. So, yes, I would like for you to continue.
2: Precisely. In in the first court in Sweden, uh, you have a a politically elected majority. uh, And therefore, we got the impression that it was a politically motivated or ideologically motivated verdict uh, that sentenced him to jail. So when they brought it up to uh, the Court of Appeal, there was a large uh, media attention to the case – And uh, they actually had to to, uh, transmit the court hearing into the local library. Uh, And and I attended there at the local library uh, because it was such an important court case. And he was acquitted from all uh, accusations because uh, the, the court decided that he has his f- freedom to to uh, deliver a biblical view on sexuality. And after that, they raised it to the Supreme Court in Sweden. And generally in Sweden, well, th- in that case as well, it's, it's not allowed to take pictures or to transmit uh, uh, videos from, from court hearings in Sweden. But... They, they transmitted the sound into Swedish national television uh, because it was such an important uh, case. And also in the Supreme Court, he was completely acquitted of all uh, accusations because they referred to, if we would take this to the European Court of Human Rights, they would not uh, uh, give... give acceptance for for a verdict of guilty, because the freedom of religion is so strong in the democracy, is in Sweden, and is hopefully in Finland as well. But we'll see what comes.
0: All right, we're going to continue this conversation in just a moment with Per Ewert. We are talking about um, the freedom of religion, freedom of speech, not only across Europe, but the challenges that Christians face uh, in a in an increasing way everywhere in the Western world. Um, and the next conversation we're going to have, I'm just going to ask Per to sort of unpack for us, what is religious freedom? How would he go about making the argument in Sweden today or in Western Europe today that Christians do have um, an, an alienable right to speak the bible in public or the content of it that's up next here on mornings with carmen
1: we believe in god the father
2: we believe in jesus christ we believe in the holy spirit and is giving us new life
0: per evert uh, directs the chapman institute of sweden he understands the issues related to a post-truth culture and the challenges that Christians face therein. We're talking today about freedom of religion and its expression in Western Europe and challenges being faced there by our Christian brothers and sisters. Per, what what is religious freedom? Like, if I were going to walk into a cafe and try to explain to people who have not grown up in the church, right, they haven't grown up with, appreci- with a necessary appreciation of sort of how Christianity built the western world like they don't know those connections they don't appreciate those connections and i am going to seek to articulate that my freedom of religion is not just a private matter but it's actually like a public concern and i have the right to speak it and even teach it
2: you give a good summary, Carmen. Uh, and uh, th- there are obviously two sides to freedom of religion. There is the freedom not to have to be exposed to religion if you don't like to. But generally, in the most important facet of freedom of religion is obviously that people have the right to believe uh, whatever li- they like and also to communicate it, to manifest. Uh, I'm reading now from the European Convention of Human Rights to either alone or a community with others and in public or private to manifest his religion or belief in worship, teaching, practice and observance. So there is a wide range of of practices that are included in freedom of religion. And obviously, it's most important to guard freedom of religion when you are in a circumstance where where your religion is is considered uh, not majority belief or or not Comil 4-liked uh, in, in the popular culture where you live. So it, it appears that freedom of religion is sort of the litmus test for, for other basic human freedoms. If you don't have freedom of religion, you very rarely have freedom of expression and other basic freedoms.
0: Okay, could you read us that list again? Because it, it, you read it very quickly, and I think it's very helpful. Worship, teaching, practice, that's what I got.
2: Yeah, and observance. Were... And I don't remember by, by heart the expression in the United Nations Declaration of, of uh, Human Rights, but it's more or less the same. It, it is a wide understanding, not just holding a belief personally, because that, that doesn't really matter in practice, but you need to be able to express it also to to change religion, for instance, uh, for, for Muslims who want to leave Islam and, and become Christians.
0: So I think these conversations are, you know, they're just not ones that we're regularly having. We don't, um, we don't think much about this. We don't spend a lot of time. Um, this would be an American expression, but noodling it. Like we don't, we don't spend time thinking about what we're thinking about. And then we see this shocking headline that a member of parliament and a Lutheran bishop are literally on trial, literally on trial um, for not only believing what the Bible says, but but having, you know, the uh, what we would, would not have historically considered the courage, but having the courage to teach it, to put it into print, to speak it in a radio program. Uh, how did we get here? How did we get from a, a time and a place where, you know, the culture shared these values to a place where not only does the culture not share the values, but the culture is at some level willing to prosecute these values.
2: Yes, Uh, we're we're on a long slippery slope here, especially here in Scandinavia. And that's actually what I do for scholarly work. Uh, I have just uh, a couple of weeks ago handed in my doctoral dissertation on the process of how Sweden became the most secular individualistic nation in the world and of course there well, first, are a lot congr- a number congr- of explosions. congratulations congratulations well, thank you. <laughs> uh, and i hope to present it in in late spring and and to, it's written in english because i i i really want other nations as well to uh, well you know learn from the swedish example it, either those nations that want to be like sweden but but several nations don't want to be that but learn from what, what happened in the Swedish example also spilling over in other Scandinavian nations? And if you don't want to be like Sweden, uh, what, what measures should you think about? And, and I hope that there will be a good uh, time to, to talk about that in America and, and other nations as well in, in late spring. But, but I think to avoid falling down a slippery slope, it's important to, to view and discuss these traps when freedom of religion, for instance, is challenged. And not to retreat further and further and backwards because then you run into some kind of self-censorship where people start to believe that okay some views are not allowed or or liked in a society So, so that that's so that means that people don't use them and don't proclaim them and don't proclaim the christian faith and and its moral implications at all and i think that would be very risky for a society
0: Pear, um, first of all, you have an open invitation to come back and share with us when you are ready to do so um, your doctoral dissertation, because that sounds absolutely not only fascinating, but relevant. And thank you for publishing it in English uh, as a person who would otherwise uh, be completely unable to engage. So thank you. And can you just tell us what is it you know, what is it like? Imagine that I am, imagine that I want to come and be a missionary in Sweden, and you're going to answer the question, what would that be like for a Christian from um, the United States context to come and seek to be part of the Christian community in Sweden? And what would I, what would I encounter there? How would I experience being a Christian in Sweden?
2: That's a really interesting question. We have a, a popular TV show in Sweden called Everything for Sweden, uh, which consists of Americans with Swedish ancestry who come back to Sweden and, and they learn about the roots. And it, it's very emotional, very interesting, very good program that way. But several people uh, of the Americans are Bible-believing Christians. And some of them ha- have expressed, well, real real shock in in meeting the very secular Swedish culture. And some of them have also expressed uh, a a calling to come to Sweden and to show what Christian life is like because they they see with sorrow that people have got an apprehension of Christianity as, well, evil, judgmental, and so on. The the view that you get in a very secular society like Sweden. Uh, So I think... an evangelical American Christian would find Sweden a very secular culture, but also they would hopefully find that we have a light to come with. We have a light to shine in a secular culture because a secular culture doesn't deliver hope, doesn't deliver meaning uh, outside human existence uh, and not really within human existence either because the light doesn't shine in from outside. But we as Christians, we have a hope to present we, we have a gospel to proclaim that God has sh- shown a light into the world with Jesus Christ becoming human, living, dying, and, and being risen again. Uh, so so uh, we need missionaries coming from other nations to Sweden, from America and from elsewhere.
0: I love that you are a bright, shiny light of Jesus in Sweden. Um, thank you for your willingness to join us, um, and thank you for... Helping us see and understand what our brothers and sisters are experiencing um, in Sweden, and thanks for the invitation. That's um, that's awfully kind of you as well. Per Evert heads up the Chapham Institute in Sweden, and we look forward to um, having you back uh, to share some of your um, of your dissertation.
2: Will you do that? Thank you. Thank you very much. I would look forward to it. And just a small correction. We're called the Clapham Institute from the Clapham sect and William Wilberforce. What
0: did I? Well, I'm so sorry that I um, misspoke there. I actually do know that. So thank you so much um, for that correction. The Clapham Institute. Whatever else I said, forget. Remember that. Pear. thank you.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Blessings. We'll be right back. I'm free. Take a deep breath this morning, breathe in God's grace and breathe out whatever you need to exhale in terms of anxiety or frustration or even pain. Let's, um, let's inhale some grace today. Let's find ourselves in the Word of God before we get out there into the world that God so loves. If you haven't already, please read Acts 21. It is the 21st of February, so we are in Acts 21 and are reading through the Bible. And we've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app.